Welcome to the Scotiabank Saddledome on the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems. Hot Stove Lounge Flames Talk available on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts as the Flames get set for a crucial 48 hours-ish in Calgary and then in Winnipeg. Two points on the line against Chicago and then two massive points on the line in Winnipeg on Wednesday night. Flames Talk available on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. And, of course, live right here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. A little bit later on this hour, uh, Aaron Vickers and Derek Wills on your Daily Flames roundtable, including the likelihood, the very high likelihood, despite the conversations we've had over the last two or three days, that Jacob Markstrom starts both games for the Flames in this crucial two-day stretch against Chicago and Winnipeg. The pending return of Chris Tanev and a whole lot more all coming your way on this hour of Flames Talk on a Tuesday, but it is Tuesday, which means we kick off this hour by saying hello to our NHL insider. It's time to check in with Frank Saravalli for South Trail Chrysler. With inventory shortages across the city, it's the perfect time to sell your vehicle for cash. Visit SouthTrailChrysler.com. And Frank joins us now from Daily Faceoff and DailyFaceoff.com. Sir, good to talk to you as always. And and here we are, uh, the Flames with an opportunity to move into a tie with the Winnipeg Jets on Tuesday night and a crucial four-point stretch coming up for Calgary, and they finally have a pair of wins when trailing after 40 minutes after having none of them prior to the weekend, and now they've won four in a row for the first time all season. It's been a frustrating roller coaster of a year, but I'm curious your thoughts. Is, is this a group finally getting hot at the right time? Is this a group that is finally showing people the, the, the reason why there was so much excitement coming into the year? Well, it's all going to come down, I think, really to these next 48 hours or 28 hours now, whatever it is. You take care of business against the Chicago Blackhawks and then you beat the Winnipeg Jets and you are, I think, in the driver's seat. Mm -hmm. You lose to the Blackhawks, there's a chance there's a nail in your coffin on Wednesday evening in Winnipeg. And look, for as as ugly as this season has been for all the ups and downs making the playoffs wouldn't absolve some of the critical issues that I think still need to be resolved. But at least at the very least, this Calgary flames team showed me that they have a pulse over the last weekend. And you mentioned the come from behind wins, even the process in those games, the actual game itself they were ugly. Like there wasn't anything that you get super excited about yeah. except for the fact that they were 0 18 and three heading into the weekend when trailing after 40 minutes. And the fact that you keep your playoff hopes alive and you come through with two comeback wins at a time in a season where you struggle in one goal games, you struggle uh, coming from behind, you struggle even holding leads. That to me said something. Now we'll see if they make a bigger statement or not. 
I haven't been super bullish, but for the first time all year, I'm in the, so you're saying there's a chance category. Right. Okay. Now there's always this, and I know that, uh, I think, uh, I think it was Matt Larkin who wrote about this recently as well over a daily faceoff. Cause there's always that, there's always that feel that, you know, you get in and you're that eight seed or that team that's fighting right to the end to get in and watch out for group A or group X or group Y come playoff time. Could could that be the Flames? Like, is that is that a team that you get that sense from that, oh boy, watch out if you're Vegas or LA or Edmonton or whoever they would end up playing in round number one? Again, I, I would say all season, the answer to that has been no. But, like, let's see what these next eight days bring because yeah. I might have a different answer by the end of it. All of a sudden, you know, you, you get a little bit more from your goaltending. You get some late-game third-period magic. I, I they, they have the pieces. That's been the most annoying part about this year from a Flames fan perspective is this team should be way better than what they've shown. And it's been a challenge all year for that to shine through. And to think that now they're sort of starting to piece it together. I mean, just by the nature of getting in, you know, by the time Thursday rolls around and I join the boys, uh, Russick and Rose in the morning, like Mm -hmm. the flames could be enjoying a six game winning streak. And all of a sudden the conversation feels a little bit different because they have the talent to be a dangerous team. Jacob Markstrom has the talent to be a series-stealing goaltender. I would say the real answer to the question revolves around, you tell me who their first-round matchup is going to be, and I'll tell you whether or not they have a chance. Yeah, well, and I know this. Like, if they if they do rattle off six in a row, and part of that six is taking three of four, and the third game of that three and four is on the back-to-back in Winnipeg, because I'm kind of of the, the wait-and-see variety as well. It's like, okay. Yeah, I don't know if I'm quite ready to buy in to watch out for the Flames come playoff time if they sneak in because for the longest time it felt like it would be Winnipeg letting them in as opposed to the Flames bulldozing their way in. Well, if all of a sudden they beat the Jets and the Blackhawks and that game in Winnipeg ends up being a regulation victory for the Flames, you you might have me convinced. That's kind of where I am too because that'll be as impressive a run as we've seen from this team, not just all season, but you know even dating back to last year, that would be in terms of character and and showing what they're all about. That would be really impressive if they were able to do that. Yeah, but let's start with the Blackhawks. For sure. And I know that sounds funny to say, but none of this is going to matter if you go 0-4 in your season series against the worst team in the NHL, a team that's not even trying to win. So that, to me, you're going to find out more, I think, in an odd way about this team and the way they approach this, this game on Tuesday night against the Hawks. Because the Hawks have nothing to play for. Their roster's been decimated by the trade deadline. They've got very little help. They're basically dressing an AHL lineup. And if you can't get on the board against the Blackhawks this season, you have no business being in the playoffs. And that's the truth. So don't overlook this game on Tuesday because Wednesday won't mean a whole lot. Essentially, the Jets could be four up and they hold the tiebreaker, which would make make them five clear of the Flames with only three games to play. Good night. Yep. Okay. So then speaking of the Jets, they uh we, we hear Rick Bonus last week after their loss in San Jose talk about if 
there's some guys in there who think that they're giving us everything they're they're dreaming and they come back they shuffle up the lines they move mark shifley to the left side Mm -hmm. and and next thing you know they put up 12 goals and two wins over detroit and new jersey so is that is 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 it the jets back have they responded is this just more of the up and down roller coaster that's been the last couple of months for winnipeg what's your feel on the team in the eighth seed right now no it certainly felt like a statement and what i liked most yeah it's it's great that they were able to blow the doors off the new jersey devils on sunday but what i liked most was friday night when the jets beat the red wings and you mentioned the line shuffling Moving, moving Mark Shifley to the wing was such a critical change for them. And I don't like, I don't think that Mark Shifley by any stretch of the imagination is a stubborn player, but I think he's really sort of, um, he's got his, his methods and he likes to stick to it. And the fact that Rick bonus was able to convince him and say, look, I need to make this change. Desperate times call for desperate measures. And if you don't like it or it doesn't work, we'll change it back. I likened it to like a conversation you have when you have kids and you want them to try a food that they've never had before. It's like, just, just try it. And if you don't like it, you can spit it out on your plate. Mm -hmm. And the fact that he was able to break a a scoreless skid, he gets on the board for the first time in 10 games, Blake Wheeler, you know, sort of in his typical grumpy old man, Blake Wheeler way, he scores for the first time in 22 games. And so you pile up and you break these these skids that they've had and you you get an important win after your coach was all over you and you bought into something that he wanted at the same time and then follow that up with an even bigger win against the Devils. I was struggling to, to find an answer in my head as to who had the more impressive weekend, the Flames or the Jets. Yep. And I kind of actually, in, an, in a weird way, lean towards the Flames because I... I didn't, I wasn't convinced they actually had a pulse. Yeah. Well, and, and now we have signs of life. I'll give you a, I'll, I'll give you kind of the, the readout here, like that Huberdo goal, the game tire in the third period Friday. And, and even the Milan Lucic third period game tying goal on, on Sunday, like the, the emotion and, and just the, the way that they reacted to those goals. That's, that's the thing that had flames fans saying, okay, maybe these guys, as you say, do have a pulse. Maybe they are ready to respond and put all the BS of the season behind them and just focus on getting in. And, you know, it might be too little too late for them to find it, but at the very least they're going to make at least it feels like 81, maybe 82 of 82 games are going to end up being meaningful for this group this year. Yeah, and and I think what's sort of flown under the radar, you you mentioned the emotion. I know everyone's down on Jonathan Huberto for this season and how disappointing it is and totally understand, but if you actually look back in the last month, there have been a number of moments in third periods that he's made some really critical plays for this team that um, have either tied games or put them ahead or whatever it might be. And yet the same sort of BS storylines have sort of popped up after the fact of, you know, why did he not play in the last two minutes and 30 seconds? Why was Walker Dewar out there for 47 of those seconds? Whatever the case may be, there's always been a yeah, but. And so I'm kind of waiting for the answer, which we started to get 
you know, you see the, the Huberto, you know, last, you know, last few minutes magic, you're starting to see some of those other things poke through at the same time. Markstrom has played a bit better. Like all those things that you, you were building your case around early in the season saying, this is a reason why this team, despite all the changes could be a legitimate Stanley cup contender, the wheels had fallen off and they're just kind of beginning to pick them up and put it back together again. Mm-hmm. Frank Saravalli's with us, Daily Faceoff, dailyfaceoff.com. He joins us Tuesdays here on Flames Talk. I, I did want to ask you about, you know, Seattle takes out Arizona 8-1, and, and, you know, all of a sudden people out here had been kind of like, well, don't blink, but maybe they could catch Seattle. And I said, well, go look at the Kraken schedule for the next five. No They've way. got Arizona in three of the five games, and I think Vancouver, and there's one other, uh, I think it's Chicago, uh, that they've got in that stretch as well. Seattle, Seattle has been a really, and I know that they're kind of just uh, meandering along right now and have been kind of 500 or so for the last month or month and a half. But the fact that Seattle is in a driver's seat for a playoff spot in year two and are almost certainly going to be there when it's all said and done. I, I don't know. Is this getting enough coverage that Seattle's going to the playoffs in year two of existence? Well, the reason it's not getting more coverage is because I don't think anyone looks at them as a team that could authentically do damage. And I don't know if it's because they've had a number of guys that have exceeded, you know, expectations based on production and shooting percentage. And it kind of feels like they've been more or less one of the luckier teams in Mm -hmm. the NHL this season. And maybe that's part of it that I think a lot of, people that look at sort of the underlying things that, that are in place with this team. And they say, be surprised if they make the playoffs next year, that maybe they're, you know, one of those teams that's on a heater that honestly, they played so well through the first half or 50 games of the season that they more or less had locked in a spot. Then I was doing the math saying this team only needs to play like five, 10 hockey down the stretch in order to get in just based on a pure, points percentage and how much they've already racked up. Like they're six, essentially six clear of the flames right now because they have the tiebreaker and they have more games in hand. Like there, there's no chance, zero chance that the Kraken missed the playoffs. That's just, they, they'd have to lose every game and we know yep. that's not going to happen. Yep. Who, who do you like in the West right now? When you take a, we've got a few teams clinched now, five of the eight have been clinched. Like, is there, is there any one group that you're completely bought in on going into the postseason? And when you take a look at how close everything is in the Western Conference right now, it's a great question because I don't have an answer for you. Like, if I were to say, like, if you were to put a gun to my head right now and say, you got to bet on one team to win the West, my money would be on Colorado, but it's not. I don't think by any stretch of the imagination, a sure bet or a safe bet. Uh, They've been one of the better teams in the league the last couple months. They're getting healthier. They're about to get Gabriel Landeskog back in the playoffs. If their defense is healthier, led by Kale McCarr, they're going to be a tough out. There's no Mm -hmm. question about that. But the Edmonton Oilers have the best record in the West since early January. The LA Kings have been such a pleasant surprise and one of the really difficult teams to play against. Like this slate on Tuesday night is, is an unreal slate of hockey. Like you've got Buffalo and Florida with a lot on the line. This is the last gasp for Buffalo and Florida is trying to hang in in the East. 
You've got the Flames and Blackhawks for all the reasons we just talked about, and then the Kings and Oilers, which is a potential first round rematch preview. Yep. I say I don't think there's really if I were to take the six teams in the West and try and rank them, you know, the and I'm excluding Seattle, Winnipeg, and Calgary, just saying the teams from the Central and Pacific that are in on the standings basis. Dallas, Mini, Colorado, Vegas, LA, Edmonton. If I were to rank them one to six, it would be something like this. Colorado one, Edmonton two, Dallas three, Minnesota four, LA five, Vegas six. That said, I watched Vegas on Monday night and their comeback win against the uh, Minnesota Wild. And I say, am I discounting Vegas? Like, no Mark Stone, their goalie situation's kind of a mess. What happens with that team? Maybe they're like, I think it's a relative coin flip between those six teams. And so when I say Edmonton's been really good, I wouldn't be shocked to see the Oilers be the team from the West that advances to the final. And I also wouldn't be shocked if they lost in the first round to LA. Yeah. Well, and through all of that, it's funny because a few of the teams, you know, Dallas, we know who their starter is. Um, I think we have a pretty good idea as to where Edmonton's leaning. But when you tan, I know that you and McKenna and Colorado knows who their guy is, but was listening to you and Mike McKenna even earlier on this Tuesday. Like you've got three of those top six teams that I don't even know if you can make a a, a valid, clear argument as to precisely who is going to start game one for Los Angeles or the Vegas Golden Knights or the Minnesota Wild. Like there's, there is legitimate conversation to be had as to who's the game one playoff starter for three of those teams. Well, I know what I would do, but I don't know if that's what the coach is going to do. Yeah. And I frankly, I don't know if once those guys get the shot that if they fumble the ball, how short the leash will be like, just take Minnesota for instance, and how, unreal Philip Gustafson has been all season long. Well, he's been rotating with Marc-Andre Fleury the last few weeks and Fleury has numbers that are right there. And he's got the pedigree and was their game one starter uh, to open the season and in the playoffs last year before game six, Dean Everson switches back in, in the first round and what ultimately ended up being the elimination game goes with Cam Talbot. I'd I'd start Philip Gustafson based on the way this season has played out, but that doesn't mean that that's what Dean Evison is feeling. Um, in LA, I, Phoenix Copley he wins like nobody's business, twenty three four and three I think is his record, but his save percentage is like nine hundred. Yeah, I, I'd be going with Eunice Corpusalo, who's been lights out since the trade. Edmonton, I'd be going with Stuart Skinner, but how do you then reconcile that with the next number of years that you have on? Jack Campbell's contract. Like there's a whole lot of other things in play for these guys than just who's been the hot hand of late. And then there's Vegas, which is just a complete and, and utter roulette wheel and spin, spin the slot. Like that's what I would say. Spin the slot and yep. see what happens at, at the Vegas casino, which is, and it's funny you ranked them six and, and we kind of had a similar conversation last week and said, okay, if the flames get in, who would be the team that you think they've got the best chance of beating? And and I went Vegas and partially because they we don't know if Mark Stone will be back for round one. And we don't know what the heck their goaltending situation is going to look like. And of all the options they've got, I don't know if you're super comfortable with any one of them. And and the guy that you were probably most comfortable with, we don't even know when Logan Thompson's going to be back. At least that's the guy I'd be most comfortable with. Yeah, I agree with you. And I, 
I would say of those teams, if Vegas were to win the Pacific and then win the West, which mathematically is the most likely thing mm-hmm. right now, that would be the team I would want to face in the first round. Yeah. I don't want to run into Jake Ottinger. I don't want to play the Avs. I think that's for the Flames a to steal the line from Daryl Sutter. I think this year would be a waste of eight days. Um the Wild have been one of the hottest teams in the league, and and you certainly I don't think want to go up against LA or Edmonton, although yep. it would be pretty juicy of a storyline to to have the Flames pay back the Oilers with an upset after last year's Battle of Alberta. Yep. And I, I think Edmonton's number one on the team that anyway, I I'd like to see them avoid. I just Jacob wait. Markstrom would like to play them, I think, just to try and right some of those wrongs. Yeah. He's never been I, the same. It's that's and that's been a storyline all year out here when it comes to Jacob and and his game, which just seems like it's starting to get back on track and how poetically March. Be? Yeah. Even if the even if the flames everything, all the wheels fell off this season. And as disappointing as it's been, just beating the Oilers and knocking out and extinguishing their playoffs hope, hopes after this incredible season from McDavid and Dreisaitl. Yep. I mean, one could dream if you're a Flames fan because that would be enough satisfaction to last a good 20 years. Yep, I think it would completely Almost as juicy as a cup. Yep, it would it would erase a lot of frustration in this market. Just a few more with uh, Frank Saravalli at Daily Faceoff and DailyFaceoff.com. He's our Tuesday NHL insider here on Flames Talk. Uh, do we um do we know anything on the the status of of Matt Murray and and do the Maple Leafs have any clarity there? No, I, I think it's going to be a little bit. I thought it was really curious to see the reaction from Sheldon Keith. Um, basically, that that comment today of. Matt Murray is day to day with a head injury and quote other stuff like, yeah, that's not really what you want to hear. I know this is going to sound like a hot take and super harsh. I don't, I think Matt Murray being out for a while is the best case scenario for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Have Ilya Samsonov not look over his shoulder. Let him know going into the mix that he's going to be the guy carrying the ball. Mm Mm-hmm. And I know it's a really small sample size, but he's been really good in the AHL based on the way Matt Murray has played of late. And frankly, for most of the season, he's got an 880 save percentage in his last seven games. He went six of those allowing four or more, including six in a row. If you were to rip the name bar off of the jerseys, I don't know that you could tell me that Joe wall right now is not better than Matt Murray. I don't know if you could convince me. So I think they're better off heading into it for better or for worse saying, this is our guy and we're going to ride with him um, and see what he do. Sam Sonoff has a lot to play for. Mm-hmm. He's got a, his next contract and, and frankly a, a lifetime of free meals in Toronto. If he can get them over the hump against the Tampa Bay lightning in round one, who by the way, bolts, they're figuring it out. They're flipping the switch right before us right before our eyes, three wins in a row, outscoring their opponents, 14 to one, two shutouts from the big cat, Andre Vasilevsky, man, that's like, if you're a leaf fan and you see your team scuffling a bit, although we'll get a better sense of where they're at with Ryan O'Reilly nearing a return mm-hmm. that they're going to be, they're going to have their hands full. I think regardless. Yep. And I don't think anybody's surprised to see Tampa Bay getting on the roll 
but they're getting on right now. They just, they know what it takes at this time of year. So that's maybe the least surprising news of all. I did want to ask you, and, and I know that you've been kind of all over this for a while and he's now been introduced and he's on the job. I did want to ask you a little bit about the, the new NHLPA executive director, Marty Walsh. And there's a lot of talk about salary caps and escrow and escalators and, and all that type of stuff. What uh what do we know about the the new man in charge of the NHLPA and what do we know about the way that he's going to take things in the early going? Not a lot and what I would say is my bigger question is what does Marty Walsh know? And I think the answer is not a lot. And that's not meant to be a jab like he in in hockey terms he's actually 7 days old. Mm-hmm. One week ago today he uh actually eight days ago, he's eight days old. One one week ago, Monday, he stepped into the NHLPA offices for the first time ever in Toronto. I don't think he had read the CBA before that. I don't think he had really known he's sort of gotten his feet wet meeting some people he needs to meet. He's a hockey neophyte. And that's not a negative. The players hired him actually part of it for that reason. They, they view him as a labor shark. He's a union guy his whole life, but he's been in politics. He was the secretary of labor. And before he could actually start this job, he was trying to avert a railroad strike in the U S that's the type of world he's been living in. He's got president Joe Biden on speed dial, as well as their chief of staff. He's an immensely powerful figure that is now beginning an entirely new phase of his life, both in compensation, making three million bucks a year after hmm. being a government servant for a long time, including seven years as the mayor of Boston. And he's got a lot to figure out. So when I listened to his press conference, I was like, this guy doesn't have an answer for anything. And then I took a step back and I said, well, hold on a second. He's not really supposed to. What would it be like if, you know, you or I started a new job in a totally different field and then they send you up for a press conference yep. in front of reporters a couple of days later? So let's not judge Marty Walsh based on what we're hearing now. Let's see what we hear in six months once he's had a chance to get his feet wet and understand what he's gotten himself into. And let's see how he approaches this because I heard some language that I thought was interesting. It was like very non-confrontational with regards to Gary Bettman and he sort of viewed it as a them as a partner, the NHL, they're really adversaries. Uh, they've been adversaries for a long time. And I think if you get caught up in the partnership rhetoric, that can be dangerous because the NHL only ever really wants to be partners in time when times are good. Mm -hmm. And in times of war, you're their mortal enemy. Yep. And so he knows that he's playing nice from the start and let's see how it plays out. Yeah, and then you've got the old five-star general, Gary Bettman, who's been to a few world wars himself. Well, and he's he's got 30 years of yeah. a head start. So if you think you're going to match wits with him from the start, yeah, um, you should probably think again. And I don't think that Marty Walsh is naive enough to think that that's the case. Great stuff, as always, Frank. Appreciate the time. We'll do it again next week, hey? Have a good one, Pat. Frank Saravalli, he is our daily face-off NHL insider, and he joins us every Tuesday here on Flames Talk, and he joins us thanks to our friends at South Trail Chrysler. With inventory shortages across the city, it's the perfect time to sell your vehicle for cash. Visit SouthTrailChrysler.com. 
Hey, it's Haley Salvian from The Athletic. For a look at the latest on your Calgary Flames and NHL news, go click and subscribe to the Hockey Central 960 podcast. While you're there, please rate and review the show. This is Flamestock. Join the conversation at 960-960. Sportsnet 960 The Fan. All right, time for a Tuesday edition of your Daily Flames Roundtable brought to you by Mercedes-Benz Country Hills where they appreciate you for trusting them with your vehicle. Mercedes-Benz Country Hills, just minutes from the Calgary Airport. It's Pat Steinberg. Aaron Vickers of NHL.com is with us. Hi, Vixie. Hey, buddy. Welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. Uh, welcome to the hour. And uh, now the voice of the Flames, Derek Wills, joins us here in the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems Hot Stone Lounge at the Dome to complete our Daily Flames roundtable. And, uh, gents, let's start with goaltending. It's not like we haven't talked enough about it, but <laughs> let's talk more about it. Jacob Markstrom gets the start versus Chicago on Tuesday night, this Tuesday against the Blackhawks, and almost certainly will go the following night against the Winnipeg Jets on Wednesday. Guys, how do we feel about back-to-back Jacob Markstrom starts? And uh, taking it a step further, Pat, unless the Flames either clinch a playoff spot or are mathematically eliminated from postseason play, I'm guessing Jacob Markstrom starts every game from now until the end of the regular season. So I'm a little surprised. And as we talked about on the Monday roundtable, I did flip-flop. We were talking about a post-game on Sunday, and at first I thought, okay, they gave Jacob Markstrom the final 40 minutes off, so go back to him against the Blackhawks. Mm-hmm. But then as we talked through it on our Flames Talk post-game show, I changed my mind. And the more I thought about it, the more I kind of dug my heels in on starting Dan Vladar for a number of reasons. First and foremost... I do think that fatigue could be a factor for Jacob Markstrom, who hasn't looked quite as sharp, but he started five straight games and 15 of the last 16 games and appeared in 17 of the last 18 games. That's a lot of hockey for anybody, let alone a 33-year-old. Also, when you look at what he's done against the Blackhawks this season, now in his career he's been really good against the Blackhawks. 9-2-4 with a shutout, a 2.60 goals against average, and a 9-18 save percentage, but this season... Not so good. Gave up three goals and 11 shots before getting replaced by Dan Vladar in the second period of a 4-3 overtime loss back on January 8th and then gave up four goals and 28 shots in a 5-1 loss on January 26th. So he hasn't uh, won a game against the Blackhawks in two starts this season. But the biggest reason why is because you know, the Blackhawks have lost eight in a row. And right now... If the NHL draft lottery was today, they would have the most ping-pong balls in an attempt to land another franchise player in Connor Bedard. And I've said for the last number of months that my gut feeling was the Blackhawks would get Bedard because, well, they got Kane. Synergy. Got Taves. <laughs> they always seem to find these franchise players when they have bad seasons, they get a good pick and, and pick a good player. But, I mean, if the Flames play the right way in front of either goaltender, they should win this hockey game. So I just thought it was an opportunity to rest your number one guy, who chances are is going to play in the final four games of the regular season, assuming those mean something, and give your number two guy, who played pretty well in the final two periods on Sunday, an opportunity to get another game. He's only played in four of the last 17 games and only started and finished one of those games. So get him a little bit of work. So I'm a little bit surprised, uh, but as I said yesterday, we 
don't have a chance to chat with Jacob Markstrom or to be around him to get a real sense for how he's feeling mentally and physically, the coaches do. So they have more information to work with than we do. Daryl Sutter believes that he's rested up enough to get the start tonight in just as much of a must-win game as tomorrow's game. Because if you lose tonight, tomorrow's doesn't mean quite as much potentially. So uh, we'll give him the benefit of the doubt and uh, see how it goes. Yeah, I don't love it. And just to echo your uh, thought there, Wilsey, um, we probably only have a sliver of the information that the the goalie coach has, the head coach has, the goalies themselves have. And I will concede that Jacob Markstrom has looked better of late. Having said that, he's still got a 303 goals against average and 895 save percentage, and basically he's played 500 hockey since March 1st. Now, as it relates to him playing both ends of the back-to-back, it's kind of curious for me because he's done that twice this year where he's played the first and the second. And in the first segment, I guess, if you will, of the back-to-back, that was back earlier in the season, he stopped 17 of 20 in his most recent one, Came in March, March 7th, I believe, against uh, Minnesota Wild. He stopped 40 of 40 for his only shutout. And that was a sequence that had a lot of travel moving from Dallas to Minnesota. So he played both segments, played Dallas, played Minnesota. That was a tough trip. That's a tough tough road trip going back-to-back. And he stopped 40 of 40, and Daryl said it too. Do your homework. Look at what's happened when Markstrom's played on the second night of a back-to-back when he played the first night. And a 950 save percentage in the second of back-to-backs this season, that scenario, that's pretty damn good. But at the same time, five periods of rest for Jacob Marsham after leaving uh, Monday's game, Sunday's game. What, what day are we on now? Today's, Today's Tuesday. Tuesday. So wow. Sunday's game. Thank you. Um, Tomorrow's Wednesday. It, it could be. Wing Wednesday. Let's go. <laughs> um, giving him five periods before the biggest game of the season against the Winnipeg Jets. I think it's enough time to rejuvenate a guy. I think it's too short for a guy to get rusty in that situation. So I'm kind of surprised it's not Vladar tonight, Markstrom tomorrow. You know, I look, first of all, I appreciate the conviction on the move and even listening to Daryl speak on, on Tuesday morning following morning skate where I think a lot of us were like, whoa, they're going to go Markstrom. Okay. Yeah. Um, I think that was the, the reaction from everybody when they sat down and saw him in the starters net. And so listening to Daryl when he said, you go with your guy, if he, he basically said – you're treating every game like it's the last game of the season right now. Mm-hmm. And game the last seven. thing the last thing that he said was, if you're in a game seven, you go with your ace. So I appreciate the conviction. I appreciate how black and white it is. But for me, I'm a little concerned about it because number 25 has shown some signs of fatigue of late and definitely looked a little off against Vancouver and then against Anaheim before he came out for the final 40 minutes of play. So if you've got a guy who's feeling a little fatigued, and you know that your backup guy can win games, and to your point, regardless of who's in net, if the Flames play the right way, Vladar, Wolf, Markstrom, Dansk, I I think you've got a pretty good chance to beat the Chicago Blackhawks. So it just seemed like a great spot to ensure that Jacob is dialed and healthy so you don't have any chance of that being part of what could be your downfall in the most important game of the season against Winnipeg. And yes, these points are just as important as the two points against the Jets on Wednesday, but it's also a scenario where, look, we know how big that game is. It's the last opportunity you've got against the team you're chasing to take two points off them. I just, I, I... I'm a little concerned about it, and I'll be the first to say if Jacob goes out, wins against the Blackhawks, and then pitches a gem against the Jets, I'll be the first to say they made the right call and good on him. I'll, I'll walk it all back. But 
here we are on the Tuesday ahead of the Chicago start and the Winnipeg start. And, yeah, I would say that I'm a little concerned about it. Yeah, and I'm not concerned about tonight's game. With no, all it's, due it's respect more, to the Blackhawks. It's Hawks, the Wednesday game that I'm concerned yeah, about. Yeah, they're rebuilding. They're dead last in the league. Uh, they have scored 2.42 goals per game, dead last in the league. They've got the 29th-ranked power play, fourth from last in the league. They're going to be good again, and maybe as soon as next season. But they're on the downturn after dominating in the league for the first half of the 2010s, winning three Stanley Cups during that span. And Daryl Sutter knows as well as anybody because his Kings were the second-best team in the league during that period of time. So they had a lot of great battles over the years. But we'll have to wait and see how it plays out, guys. I just I think it was an opportunity to get your yeah. workhorse, who's had a lot of work, some rest, and to make sure that he was as close to 100% as possible for the biggest game of the season against a much better Jets team that has scored 12 goals in their last two games and will be well-rested because they haven't played since Sunday. So fatigue's not going to be a factor for them. They're sitting at home waiting for the Flames to start off their back-to-back and then make the two-hour flight from Calgary to Winnipeg. So... Again, Daryl knows more about this game than I'll ever know, and uh, has won two in the Stanley Cups. So I haven't won any, so who am I to second guess him? And we'll just have to wait and see how it plays out. Go ahead, sorry. Well, it's just it's, it's interesting because Marsham's workload has been massive. Heading into action yesterday, he played the most minutes of any goalie since March first. UC Saros jumped him mm-hmm. uh, with Nashville's game on Monday night. Playing both ends of a back-to-back, Markstrom's going to launch right back into the number one spot there. And I get it's the Chicago Blackhawks, and you went through some of the stats. Well, they've only averaged 24.9 shots since the trade deadline. That is last in the NHL. So you're looking at, in theory, in theory, a light workload, but you're still standing out there for 60 minutes. But will it be a light workload? I mean, you'd anticipate, Because the Blackhawks have scored not. nine goals in two games against the Flames this season. The Flames have had issues with their speed. Mm-hmm. Let me rephrase. On paper, it should be a light workload in terms of shot volume and, and actual shots on goal. I'm just curious because if ever you had a shot to, to rest Jacob Markstrom for the remainder of the stretch driving into the playoffs, giving him five straight periods off, this is basically your last chance to do so. And guys, as far as message sending, trying to look at this from both sides, okay? So one thing we talked about post-game on Sunday and again on the roundtable yesterday is if you start Dan Vladar, do you send a message to your team that, hey, we're starting our number two guy, we need you to be really good in front of him. But if you start Dan Vladar, this is the flip side of that, do you send a message to your team that, we're playing the last overall Blackhawks, guys, so we're going to start our backup goaltender. So I think there's two different ways to look at it. The bottom line is, if the Flames play the right way in front of Jacob Markstrom tonight, then it'll probably be a fairly easy night for him, probably. <laughs> then again, the first whoa, whoa, whoa. two games weren't. Nine goals. Um, but again, they didn't play the right way in front of their goaltenders in those two games against the Blackhawks to start off the three-game season series. What you'll want to see... Daryl Sutter starting Jacob Markstrom. It is what he is. He's starting tonight. He's starting tomorrow unless he gets hurt tonight. So what the Flames can do to help their goaltender is play really tight in front of him. Get the early lead. Maybe the Blackhawks go away. Try to limit the, the shots and the scoring chances against. And, and don't make it one of those pressure-filled games like the one we saw on Sunday where you're fighting tooth and nail for two points against one of the worst teams in the league. Because those games aren't easy physically and I would say to a greater extent mentally 
Try to make it as easy as you can on Markstrom tonight, and then he'll be uh, a little bit more well-rested well tomorrow night. Daily Flames Roundtable, Derek, Aaron, Pat, on this Tuesday edition of Flames Talk. And, guys, Chris Tanev likely returns to the lineup Tuesday against the Blackhawks. Looks like that's going to happen, and I don't think we need to dive into you know how important that is. I think we all know how important Chris Tanev is to this lineup, and that has been very apparent this season. So, you know, what's more interesting to me is if they go with 6 and 12, which it looked like at Morning Skate Tuesday. Uh, Michael Stone comes out of the lineup. He came back in on Sunday, of course, scored the game-winning goal uh, with less than three minutes to go in that 5-4 comeback win over Anaheim. Stetcher stays in. Stone comes out is what it looked like. For you right now, is Stetcher this team's six, or is there a conversation between Stetcher and Stone as the number three right side D? <laughs> I'd say Stetcher is 6A and Stone 6B. <laughs> I mean, kind of a cop-out, but I, in my mind, I have the exact same answer, yeah. so go ahead. Uh, I mean, all joking aside, I think Troy Stetcher is the number six because he's in and Michael Stone's not. You had an excuse to leave Michael Stone in tonight because, to your point, Pat, comes back after missing 20 games. Didn't look like he missed 20 games. He has an uncanny ability to play his best hockey, despite the fact if he played the night before or played three months before. I've never seen anything like it. What a consummate pro Michael Stone is, and that's why it was so great to see him score the game-winning goal against the Ducks on Sunday. But this is a big game for the Flames, and Stone is out and Stetcher is in, so I think it's pretty clear that they look at Stetcher as their number six guy. And I think he's done a really good job solidifying that third pairing, fellas. He's got two goals in six games since he snapped a 90-game goalless streak. And when you look at what he's done with the Flames compared to what he did with the Coyotes, seven points in 61 games with Arizona, six points in 15 games with Calgary. He's taken his game to a whole new level, and I think he's playing his best hockey right now. He's got three points in the last two games, and he's not the biggest guy, but he's a competitive fella. And uh, even when he gets beat up the ice, he hustles back the ice and more often than not uh, mitigates any damage that is done. I think Troy Stetcher has done a, a really good job and has been a really good fit with this Flames team. And that's not a knock on Michael Stone. I'm a huge Michael Stone fan. But right now, they are getting healthier on defense. And, uh, boy, it was great to see Chris Tanev on the ice this morning. I don't know about you guys, but I was actually surprised to see him not practicing with the team or taking the morning skate with the team, but on a pairing one of the top yep. three pairings. I just didn't expect him to come back quite this quickly, so that was a great sign, and uh, it's, uh, it's a good problem to have when you have to decide between Stetcher and Stone. Yeah, for me, I think Troy Stetcher is my 6A. Michael Stone's yeah. the 6B. You just look at what Stetcher's done since coming over from the Arizona Coyotes, and no disrespect to Nick Ritchie, who's contributed in a big way since uh, joining the Calgary Flames on the left side, but... Troy Stetcher, you mentioned six points in 15 games. There's only one defenseman on the roster that has more points than Troy Stetcher since joining the Calgary Flames, and that's Mackenzie Wieger's 10. And all of six of Troy Stetcher's points have come at even strength. He's playing 14-26 a night since joining the Calgary Flames. I like what he's given him in terms of uh, being able to move the puck up the ice quickly. I think at times the Calgary Flames this season have been guilty of not moving pucks fast enough, but not transitioning from defense to offense quick enough. I think he offers that. He is a little bit smaller than Michael Stone. Um, that said, he's not deterred by bigger opponents. He maybe has a little bit tougher time dealing with them than Michael Stone does, but I don't think the gap between uh, Stetcher's defense and Stone's defense is as big as what Stetcher offers in turning the puck up in transition and in the offensive zone than Michael Stone, who 
admittedly probably has the best one-timer on the team. So for me, Troy Stetcher. I think you just hit the nail on the head, though. What have the Blackhawks done that has given the Flames issues this season? It's been their pace. Speed, yep. And even though Michael Stone might be skating better now than he has at any point in time in his career because he worked on that when he had uh, that blood clot, Troy Stetcher is still the better skater. Yeah, I, I mean, I think the way that Troy's played of late, I would have him as my number six right now. And I think that with Zadorov on that pairing, it's not like you're giving up any size. <laughs> like you've got, you've got plenty of size and physicality on that pair. I do just, I, I think with Stone back and having your seven healthy you've got the opportunity anyway, because Stone hasn't been healthy since Stetcher's gotten here right. in, until recently. I do think you've got a little bit more of an opportunity to change things up if you need it. Because Troy does a lot of things well and, and has done some of those things a lot of late. The, the, what you just talked about, Vix, and his skating and his ability to move the puck and, and you know some of his shiftiness. He's been able to jump in offensively, but he's also prone to having stretches where things can be a little bit of a struggle for him in his own zone. And if all of a sudden that kicks in for a couple of games, you've got the ability to insert stone and maybe you give Stetcher a rest for a couple of games. You just have more options, and I still think if I were to go my depth chart on the right side, Stetcher would be ahead of Stone for sure, but you've got more options now uh, in a playoff series. If all of a sudden you feel like your third pairing needs more physicality or more size, or if you feel like Stone's shot can be something, and you also have the ability if you need to, like we saw at times in last year's playoffs, the Flames could also go 7-D. So, yes, Stetcher's my six, but Stone's still an option, whether it's to, to rotate in once in a while or if you want to go a different look. I think because Stone has shown the ability to step in, step in and be effective even when he's been off for a while, you always have that ability to go yeah. 7-D. Just want to quickly clarify a stat. Even strength points, only one defenseman has more than Stetcher. In terms of overall points, Rasmus Anderson has 11, Mackenzie Weger has 12, Noah Hannafin has 7. But I am intrigued by the fact that you now have the ability to go matchup-based for your number six defenseman, whether you're worried about speed and transition, you can go stature. If you're worried about size and a, and a grinding game, you can go Michael Stone. Again, it's a 6A, 6B scenario for me. Let me ask you guys a rhetorical question. So if you were to go 11-7, and seven, and I don't hate that. Yep. I really especially don't, right especially now. with Chris Tanev yeah. trying to stay healthy. If you get into a game where you've uh, got a comfortable lead, you can sit down your, your top four a little more than you would. So if you're to go 11-7, and seven, who would you take out to make that happen? See, that, that's where I think things get tricky, at least tonight. And I'm not even advocating so much for it tonight. And, Either am or, I. Or, or Wednesday. It's more so an option down the road in the playoffs. If all of a sudden a forward gets hurt and you're like, I don't know, do I want to put forward X in, am I comfortable putting that guy in? You can go 7D. Uh, or if you're like, ah, you know what, Luch looks like he's dragging, or, or Trevor Lewis looks like he's you know needs a night off at some point, you can go 7D. And I, I, I'm not trying to throw those guys in as they would be the ones. I'm just saying, you know, those well, Nick are... Nick Ritchie'd be the other one. Nick Ritchie, yeah. for sure. You know, a little further on down the lineup. So I just, or Walker Dewar, if you're like, you know, Walker's game has dropped off a little bit, and you know, we think he needs a seat, and, and we're it not happens with rookies. Exactly. You have that option yeah. in a playoff series to go seven defense. I think most would say that if you were going to take someone out at forward, whether it be to play seven defensemen or to put Jacob Peltier in at forward, it would be probably one of Nick Ritchie or Milan Lucic. Yep. But the thing is, Nick Ritchie had a goal and an assist 
on Sunday. And Milan Lucic scored the second biggest goal of the game, the game-tying goal in the third period. So tough to take one of those two guys out after what they did just two days ago in a big win. Can't argue that. To me, the four candidates would be Richie Lucic, Lewis, and Dewar. Dewar, for me, has been all you've asked from him. Trevor Lewis plays such an integral role in the penalty kill. He's not coming out. So you're looking at Richie Lucic, and as you mentioned, combined they have two goals and one assist in the past 48 hours. Yeah. Again, not talking about tonight. Talking right. about down the road. Yeah. But we'll see. And, and maybe it's a, a situation where if, if, if the Calgary Flames can lock something in, maybe you give Milan Lucic a couple nights off just for load management, just to give him a little bit of rest, because come game one, you're going to need him to just pound, pound, pound yeah. the defenseman on the floor check, game one, set the tone. And to his credit, both times where he's been a healthy scratch, once for three games and once for two games, he's come back and played yep. some of his best hockey of the season. So I think he could probably sell it to him, which would be important as well. Yep. That is your Daily Flames Roundtable. Derek, Aaron, Pat, it's brought to you as always by Mercedes-Benz Country Hills, where they appreciate you for trusting them with your vehicle. Mercedes-Benz Country Hills, just minutes from the Calgary Airport. A few texts at 960-960 when it comes to what we've talked about. Dustin in Calgary says, Pat, I'm wondering with everyone healthy-ish, do you think they go 11-7 at some point? Uh, they looked pretty good in those lineups last year, uh, and I do think it's a very interesting option for them. Uh, this reads I wonder if playing Markstrom against one of the worst teams in the league is a way to hopefully give them uh, give him some confidence going into Winnipeg after a shaky start last game uh, Barry says Chicago is a must win Calgary should win this game and Markstrom shouldn't be peppered if the Flames play the way they should Markstrom's last outing wasn't great if I'm the coach I want to see my ace looking better light workload and more confidence should mean he's game ready for the Jets tomorrow don't want him stepping on ice against the Jets in an absolute must win without a better better outing and more confidence. Um, this reads, not worried about Markey going back-to-back. -back. I think he'll have more than plenty of adrenaline pumping through him to help eradicate any fatigue ahead of Wednesday. I'm willing to bet we see vintage Markstrom in net against the Jets. Uh, what else we got here at 960? 960. Uh, I definitely go Markstrom. This team has a habit of looking past weak opponents. Um, this Rams home, the importance. Also, Vladar has been pulled three of the last four and has been brutal past All-Star break. Uh, this says, I feel like Vladar should have gotten a start since the Stars game. Markstrom hasn't looked like his Markstrom self in the past few starts. That's from Matt in Cochran. Um, and uh, that's just a little bit of the conversation and the reaction to Jacob going on back-to-back -back nights. Okay, that's 960-960 on the text line. Time for your Flames Talk best bets to wrap up the hour. Brought to you by Bodog.net. Find your next favorite game at Bodog.net. Hashtag make a play. Free play only. 18 plus play responsibly. So went one and one to kick off the week. Jason Robertson hit over three and a half shots. Oliver Bjorkstrand just missed despite Seattle going 8-1. Uh, he, well, he missed two and a half shots. Probably didn't play half the game. That's a good point. Uh, for Tuesday, I got a few for you. I'm feeling good about Michael Backlund over three and a half shots. Couple of nights that weren't his best, so I think he'll be on it against Chicago. Austin Matthews over four and a half versus Columbus and Jonathan Marcheseau over two and a half versus is Nashville. So I've got Backland over three and a half shots, Austin Matthews over four and a half shots, and Jonathan Marcheseau over two and a half shots. Those are your Tuesday best bets. Brought to you by Bodog.net. Find your next favorite game at Bodog.net. Hashtag make a play. Free play only. 18 plus. Play responsibly. 